If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, maybe... My favorite. We oh, we're finally releasing it. Ever done. This, I'm so mad it took us this long to release this one. Dude, yeah. this is, I'm not exaggerating, one of the most entertaining episodes I've ever done. Uh, we interviewed Joe DeSina uh, the, uh, from Spartan Races. Uh, he has the podcast Spartan Up. So it's a very popular podcast. If you're not familiar with Spartan Races, they are the obstacle course racing Kings, yeah, they are dominating. Um, a, we went to a Spartan race not that long ago. It was a great thing to experience. Our Ben, our buddy Ben Greenfield competes in them. But Joe Decina is one of those people that um, you just want to hang around. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, he's very down to earth, very real guy, very very cool guy. I mean, we got the best vibe from this dude right away. We love him. We talk about him uh, this way all the time. Uh, the stories he tells in this podcast are fucking compelling. Yeah. Like super entertaining, super compelling. Like if he was at a party with like 50 people, he's had a very interesting life. Very, you know, very interesting. Like he would be the guy in the middle of 50 people just for the Everybody whole party. Everybody will shut up and just start listening. That, that's what's going to happen to this yeah. podcast. You're going to, ho- you're going to wish it doesn't end. Unfortunately, it ends up ending, uh, at, you know, obviously at the end of it, yeah, but we'll have to have him back at some point. Uh, great guy. We are going to be at the Spartan Race Championships, which are coming up. We'll be over there in Tahoe doing some podcasting, doing some hosting. So if you're going to be there, uh, look out for us. Come say hi to us. Joe DeSina is taking care of us very, very well. What a great guy. Love working with the dude. Um, so great podcast you're going to listen to. Also, this month, enroll in any MAPS program, any individual program, get MAPS Prime for free or enroll in any bundle and get Maps Prime for free. Or lastly, if you enroll in the Super Bundle, which is one year, one year's worth of exercise programming, all planned out for you, where you go from one Maps program to another throughout the entire year, where your body is just progressing the entire time, uh, which ours, which already includes Maps Prime, we will give you Maps Prime Pro for free. So basically, enroll in any of the programs, you're going to get something for free this month. You find it all at mindpumpmedia.com. So without any further ado, here we are interviewing Joe DeSina from the Spartan Up podcast and from the Spartan Races. Well, Joe, we should do a formal introduction. Um, you can call me Joe. I'm actually Joseph Adam Schaefer, but we go by I go by Adam. All right. uh, but my real first name is actually no, Joe. You're so it's everybody. Very easy for you to remember. My name okay. is Sal. Sal. And Justin. And you got Justin yeah, right Justin. there. Yeah. Right. Joe. Yeah. The beefy one. Joe, Sal, and Justin. All right. Just Adam. <laughs> yeah, we're going to gonna fuck our audience up. It's Adam. But uh, my real birth name is Joseph. It's Adam. Adam. Yeah. Why, so how'd that happen? So my real dad's name is Joseph, and they didn't want to call me Junior. Got it. And so they called me by my middle name. And then when I got old enough to where I actually wanted to change it, it was too late. Everybody. And I thought about it. You know, I had a, I had a family member that You're did You're an Adam. Yeah. yeah so Here's got, the thing, you though. Like Here's what you get, you know. It's never too late, bro. You can do whatever you want. That's true. You know, that's you, how life works. Well, as a kid, what I didn't like, here's the thing. So I was, I was born in the 80s, early 80s, 81. And Adam was like, that was when Adam was a big name. So as a kid who was like 15, 16 years old, Adam was a very uh, popular child name. So I hated it. So you know how we all were when you were kids growing up. You always wanted to be older. Then we get older. Then all we want to be is fucking yeah, younger. Right, so right. now Adam's fucking cool. I'm cool oh. with Adam now. 
But when I was growing up, well, I he hated was the it. first human. So you know, yeah, yeah right. So that was cool. that's a, according yeah. to that science book. <laughs> yeah, that we all read. heavy I, heavy I, science. I, I, the only reason I went with Joe was I, I grew up in Queens and um, it was very Italian neighborhood. So as you guys were rolling your names, I thought, oh, how am I going to remember this? I got Sal, that's I easy. got Joe, yeah. and then Justin kind of threw me off. Right. But there, there was oh, no man. Justin in our neighborhood. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no. We beat the Justins up. Popular. We, beat the, yeah, we, yeah. we scared him out of there. Go, of a, go to the Irish neighborhood. Yeah. So, yeah. Joe, I'm so excited to have you here, and I have so many questions. Uh, you were going to uh, tell us the start of Spartan Race. Yeah, how, how did that get going? And first of all, I didn't know that it was twice as big as the whole Tough Mudder thing. What did I call that thing? The the what you, what, <laughs> yeah, not, they're not like a don't yeah, even count, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. How did how did you get it started? How did that all? So so go way back. So I grew up in Queens. I grew up in a, a town called Howard Beach, and for whatever reason, it was organized crime capital of the world. Um, four bought big bosses of, of of five of the families lived in this oh, town. Wow. So if you were wow. if you were the feds, you just had to tap like one phone line. You got everybody. So oh you God. really grew up in the era of like Bronx Tale and shit. That was. Well, go. Did you see Goodfellas? Of course. Yeah. Right. Did I, I see Goodfellas? Yeah. I watched it this morning. So Goodfellas, <laughs> was, Good, Goodfellas was filmed yeah. in in our neighborhood. Yeah. Oh shit! And it was about. I mean, I grew up right in the middle of it. Wow. So so those the characters it's based on were neighbors. Um, so you knew all those people, basically. You knew everybody. Oh, no shit, shit wow, really. That's cool. So it gets fuck. We could be a whole I mean, episode talking about that right there in itself, man. <laughs> so so it gets crazier because um. I started a swimming pool cleaning business and I started it at preteens. So, you know, 10, 11 years old. And the reason I started is my dad was doing real well and he lost everything because um, real estate started to fall apart. He had some tough times. My neighbor was the boss, unbeknownst to me because I'm preteens, my neighbor's the boss of the Bonanno crime family, literally my <laughs> next door neighbor. But I don't know this. Wow. He's just a big guy in many respects, big house, big, just a big guy. And so, um, he, he had daughters. He takes me in under his wing and he's like, he sees the stuff's going on in my house and he's like, hey, why don't you clean my pool every week and you know, I'll pay you 35 bucks a week. And he teaches me a ton of lessons, which I think your listeners would, would enjoy. But anyway, he takes me in. I do a good job. He teaches me how to, how to run a business, how to be on time, how to do all these things, go above and beyond, never ask for money. Shit could happen if you you know they pay you when they want to pay you, and and um, because a lot of people show up to do business with their hand out, yeah. and, and right, mm -hmm. and that pisses you off. And we do business with people we like, and and so anyway, he taught me all those things. He introduces me to seven hundred clients over the next twelve years. When well, you can imagine who these people were, many of them still in jail or dead, but they were amazing clients at the time, right? Because they because at that time you're growing up, it's the who you want to be those people. Yeah. Right. You, you're in a, a product of your environment. Right. So you're seeing all this stuff and you want to, you want to be those people. So anyway, I'm on that path. My mother who divorces my dad goes into a health food store, which, you know, back in the late seventies was not very common in Queens, walks into a health food store. Her mother's got cancer. So that's why she's diverting and from raviolis and cannolis and, and going to take a, a shot at, at buying some like flax seeds or something. <laughs> and she walks in and in the back of the, of the health food store is this yogi who just came in Swami, Swami Boa, Swami Boa from India. He's like 70 years old or something. Right. She never heard of yoga. She thinks it's a food or whatever, but she, she goes <laughs> hook, hook, line and sinker. She falls into this new life in, in 30 minutes. She's going to, she's going to study yoga She's going to become a yoga teacher. Oh, she, wow. She's going to meditate. She's going to eat healthy. She food. drank the Kool-Aid. She drank like a branch sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, 
So she gets hooked on that, and my dad and the neighbors and my customer, everybody's like, your mother's a freak, mm-hmm. right? So she lives about, which we end up living a mile from my dad, and she's got us now on this new path. So to your point of how, how Spartan started, was it was really her, because in Queens at that time, through one of the yoga connections, is a 3,000-mile run race. It's a one-mile loop. And so it's it's a, a tr- transcendence run they call it right because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna leave your body you're gonna do three thousand miles which is one thing very very difficult but you're gonna do it around a one mile loop just so over and over over again. and over and over again and and completely uh, get rid of all the demons everything you're dealing with uh, in life anyway she introduces us to it my sister and I don't do it because again we're 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 kids but we see it. And we learn that between that and watching my mother meditate for like 30 days straight, levitating, like all all the crazy (laughs) stuff, monks in our living room. No shit. Like... You couldn't like, think. I couldn't imagine two more contrasts. Right. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I think he's got. He's got look like good fellas <laughs> for for half, half, and then he goes at the yeah. other other side. Wow. Oh, it's yeah. cra- crazy, crazy shit. So, um, so and 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 stand alone, like the only person in the neighborhood into this stuff. The only part, right? So to us, to my sister and I, she's a crackpot. To um, to the neighbors, she's a crackpot. And you're almost embarrassed to have a mom like this. I've I got pictures of Indians with wooden things around their neck and afros in our living room and I'm you don't even how do you explain that to like Joey and Frank well and- especially in, in, your, in your generation at that time too yeah, like, like it's it's, uh, a, it's getting a little more popular now but back then that had to been like what the yeah, fuck is going contrast. on the yeah. conversation literally the conversation outside of her the conversations were raviolis cannolis like did you try Sal's new Sicilian pizza concrete <laughs> somebody going to jail like that, those were the kind, it was never about the stuff my mom was into. So anyway, I'm going to go all over the place here, but she That's introduced right, us. That's all right, we're with you. This she, is great. She introduces us to that, to that run and seeing that and seeing her and her, her brothers, my uncles go to India and just start to believe in like, cause we were in a Catholic school, right? And, and we're in a neighborhood where everybody believes in, in one religion and one way of thinking. And, and so she just opened our mind up, even though it required like a, a crowbar to open somebody's mind <laughs> in that neighborhood, right? But she was slowly getting wedging in there this idea um, that w- the mind is much more powerful than we think, right? We probably should eat healthy. Like all this stuff is ridiculous that we're putting in our bodies. Uh, all the stuff you guys probably talk about and believe mm-hmm. in now, but but let me tell you, like this was revolutionary. Late, this was late seventies, yes. maybe in California. This was happening. It was not happening in Queens, no. <laughs> dude. That's right? crazy. Yeah. So so um. So anyway, I got that in the back of my head, but I want to, I want to, I want a Cadillac, man. I want to make money. I don't fucking hang out with monks, right? At that point. <laughs> <laughs> they look poor, man. Yeah, yeah, right? Little did you know, you could have opened up the first yoga schools and oh you'd be. My, you, know yeah, what I'm you don't oh, even yeah. know. <laughs> you don't even know the opportunity. Now looking back, between the magazines in that space, the, oh. like, the business opportunities, I just wasn't the applying the entrepreneurship that I had in my head. The the, the wheels were turned in my head not applying it to that industry at all. Mm-hmm. I just didn't believe in it. It was great. By the way, there was like four customers. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like, nobody was into this stuff. And they were all in my living room um, doing yoga for free. So, so, um, so anyway, she introduces us to all that stuff. I, I stay on track with, I'm going to build a business. This neighbor's got me doing swimming pools, which eventually turns into concrete work and brickwork and construction. And um, then burying people. 
You <laughs> can't talk about that here. But, but, um, you don't even know some of the stories. I could. Oh, blow, I could. I, Im- could, I, could, I imagine. could imagine. I could blow your audience away. I could imagine stories. That's got to. I mean, I, it, it's. It's almost such a bummer that I've only got you for a couple hours today because I feel like now that you open this box, I feel like <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to get to the sporting yeah. race. I want to know all about your childhood, bro. That has to be. <laughs> I could get people. You've on got this probably podcast, one of the most amazing yeah. stories ever, bro. Uh, That's crazy. Crazy. Uh. crazy. So, um, so they trusted me because I, you know, I go in the backyard. I'm not stealing anything and, 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 uh, and I'm not wearing a wire. So, so um, I had access to all these folks' houses. Like I could walk in and I could sleep on a couch. I could go in the refrigerator. I, I was that integrated with these families. And, and by the way, it wasn't just all those guys. I had a complete cross-section um, of uh, different backgrounds, different uh, religious beliefs, et cetera. But what it did do for me was I said to myself, a little bit like Bruce Lee over this 12-year period, Wow, I'm going to take a little bit of that from that family. I'm going to discard a little bit of that. I'm not doing it. so from a sociology perspective. I had this look through this looking glass. What an opportunity! Like I wish I could recreate it from for my kids because it, you can't get that. You just don't get that, right? No. Like it's one thing to read up on people and maybe listen to a podcast. It's not Another the same when you're in it. Be yeah. in their houses yeah. and and like I I had guys saying, "Hey, could you go take care of you know Lisa's pool down the shore?" He was banging. Right, but I'm dealing with his wife over here getting like it was just crazy, and I couldn't say anything. I had one guy, I'm not going to mention any names. So I had one of my customers say, "Hey, you got to go. You got to go see this. This I'm, I'm trying to avoid using any names. Or, oh yeah, no right? worry about it. Yeah, you got to go to Mel Base in Brooklyn, and you've got to take care of uh, my partner's uh, pool. He wants to put a pool in. You got to go see him twelve o'clock Thursday, whatever. So I get there ring the bell, nothing. I'm waiting outside. It comes out later, years later. He was inside. He was killing the architect while I was outside. Oh, shit. Because the architect was complaining about getting paid. Oh, Oh, my shit. Thank God I didn't, like, walk my way into the backyard or something. But, but, um, so it was crazy, crazy, crazy time. And how old are you at this time? At that time, I'm probably 17, 18. So, so, um, so anyway, build that business. My mom moves us to Ithaca, New York, because in Ithaca, they're a little more spiritual. They're a little more open-minded. This place in Queens is crazy. That was like, Ithaca was like the hippie capital of that area, right? It was a hippie. It was, yeah. a, it was five hours north, but because Cornell University is there, Ithaca University is there, there's waterfalls. It just, it's very, more like California. Sure, sure. Right? <laughs> so, so, um, so we move up there, but I still got my business. In New York, so I'm going back and forth on the weekends. She's just trying to get us out of that environment. Anyway, up there, I opened my mind up even more, even though I'm being resistant to all this stuff. I'm leaving high school, graduating high school. My grades have been terrible. I've been focused on my bed. I don't need good grades. I'm not that smart. And um, my buddy, who I've gotten to know now at Ithaca High School, says, hey, why don't we, why don't we go to Cornell? And I was like, well, one, my grades suck. I'm not going to be able to get in Cornell. But two, I got this business I'm running in Queens. Why I don't need to go to college. And um, he says, no, my dad's a professor at Cornell. He'll get us in. Coming from the neighborhood, somebody says they got a connection. You're, it makes sense. Like, they'll get us in. So we both apply. Neither of us get in. He doesn't get in. I don't get in. But now I'm interested because they didn't accept me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, uh, 
I'm thinking, gee, is there a way to get in? He says, well, my dad said we can go extramural. We don't have to take um, regular classes like everybody else. We could take just three classes, while all the kids that got accepted could take five classes. We do well in those three classes. They don't count towards anything, but if we do well, they'll accept us. They have to accept us because we've proven that we could handle Cornell University. So I was like, all right, let's do that. But if we're going to do it, I'll go to St. John's in Queens during the summer while I'm running my business. I'll, I'll do some night classes. I'll learn how to study because I haven't studied. My SAT score has sucked. He says, fuck that. He says, uh, let's go to Vegas for the summer and party because <laughs> we're going to buckle down in September. Why would, we, why would we work hard during the summer? Complete divergent in, in, in ideas and, and this whole concept of being successful in life, which is something we preach at Spartan, right? That was a, that was a key moment. He went left, I went right. So I, I go to Queens, I run my business, I go to St. John's. At oh, night. so you chose not to go with him. He, yeah, did I he go to I, Vegas? I didn't take the cookie. He yeah. went to Vegas. Oh, wow. So which, Big decision to make at that yeah, young age, man. Big decision to make, and, and it ties to something that I'm really focused on called delayed gratification, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, So I, I decide to study because they turned me away. And so now I'm- You're driven, you're I'm focused. Driven. I'm driven, I'm focused, right? So, um, so I study, I do well. We meet back in September up in Ithaca. We buckle down. I, um, I'm so serious about going to school now because I've never really worked on school ever. I wasn't a good student. I've got like a briefcase. I've got like- Official. I've got a button-down <laughs> shirt. I'm going to be serious here. And we do our three classes, and we do well. He even does well coming off of the haze of, of Vegas for the summer. Um, neither of us get accepted again. Uh. And so he, he diverts and goes to UNLV. And I, um, I'm like, fuck this. I'm going. I'm going to do it again. All right? They're not going to turn me away. I'm going to do it again. So I do another semester. I do well. But, but the problem is my my credits are falling behind because everybody else is doing five classes. Right. So I do it again. I reapply. No go. They they turn me away. I do it again. Third semester. Shit, you did wow. this. Third. Four now was... I'm on my third my third time, mm. and and they they turn me away. So I'm done. I'm going to New York. I'm going to run my, my business is doing great now. We're building houses. We're doing all kinds of stuff. I don't even need school. My mother, who's upset that she's going to lose her son, right? Because I'm going back to New York. I'm done in Ithaca for good. She says, you know, I teach yoga to this lady who's at Cornell. Why don't you go talk to her? My mother was the last person that I would have leaned on for a connection, right? She, she didn't she wasn't like that anymore. She's she, too busy talking to monks. She, she too, <laughs> now, now, right. If I needed a connection She's to monks. She's not monk, strong-arming right. anybody. Why am I, I got right. way better connections a for that. A yogi or yeah. something, she'd be the call. But she, like, <laughs> so anyway, she has me meet um, uh, Professor Anita Racine. I remember the meeting like yesterday. And I go meet her, and I'm already made my mind up. I'm done. They, they've embarrassed me three semesters in a row. Or didn't let me in. I'm way behind on credit, so I won't even graduate on time if I get in. Sits me down. And she says, hey, I I'm, I'm took a look at your grades. Your mother told me a little bit about what you're going through. I understand you want to you give up. She says, I run uh, within Cornell. Cornell University is pretty amazing, uh, unlike many uh, schools, in that it has all these different topics of study. So you could study. You could be a veterinarian. You could be an engineer. You could study literature. One of the things that one of the programs they have is a, a textile department. So she says, I run the textile department. I've got 96 women in the program. I've got no men. And, you know, we want to get some diversity. We want to get men in here. Do you like textiles? And I was like, I love textiles, right? 96 women. But I don't know what a textile is. <laughs> I love the idea of 96 women in a group and no men. So, um, so she actually takes me in. 
And I end up doing the next uh, two and a half years studying textiles. So we, if we were to stop the podcast right now and go see a movie, um, I could tell you exactly what era that movie's from based on hemlines because I, I know all about <laughs> ladies' clothing. It's a unique skill. It's a unique skill. So, so, um, and my wife does come to me and say, hey, does this look good? So that's good. I've got some, an edge there. But, but so I get accepted and I get through it and I, and I graduate Cornell while I'm running the business um, back in Queens. When I graduate Cornell, and you guys didn't ask me this question, so just stop me at some point. No, just, no, just, no, no, keep going. Yeah. I'm rambling here. But, but um, when I graduate Cornell, I meet an Italian uh, guy in the entrepreneur. You're allowed to take classes outside of textiles. I'm studying mm-hmm. all kinds of things. One of the classes I take is an entrepreneurship class. I meet this Italian who's awesome. And he takes a liking to me right away because I'm from an Italian neighborhood. I'm Italian background. So we click right away. I buy him a bottle of Sambuca. And um, he says to me, what are you doing? Like, why are you running this? What are you going to do after you graduate? You should go to Wall Street. And I don't know anything about finance at this point. I, I do know that there was the 87 crash and everybody lost a lot of money. So I assume nobody's making money there. And he says, no, you, you, you've got to hustle. You're, you're driven. You've you got to go to Wall Street. So anyway, I graduate. What he said's in the back of my head. I'm running my business. I'm a big man on campus, figuratively, in Queens, because I got all these customers, right? All these wise guys. I've got all this political capital. I can walk in anybody's house. I'm making money. We're building houses. I've got trucks. Trucks always make you feel like a man, right? I got, <laughs> <laughs> listening to the truck start in the morning. I got heavy equipment, bulldozers, backhoes. Um, I got a girlfriend. Everything's- How right? old are you right around this time now? So now I'm like 21. Call oh, 20, man. 20, 20, 20, 20, on top of the world. On top of the world. Yeah. It's a million-dollar business, right? On- so I'm not going to Wall Street. I'd be going backwards. Right. In, yeah, you to start mind. all over. I'm going to start all over. And, but I'm not really putting my education to, to work, right? I'm, I'm still running this business where all these guys and girls that graduated are going off and, and going to go build careers. So um, this guy, this Italian guy, Matt, he's probably 60 at the time, continues to call me every month on the month. Every month for, for five years. Wow. What are you doing? How are you doing? Um, how am I going to get you to Wall Street? And I'm just blowing them off. Like I'm, cause my business is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm, I'm just, I, maybe I got married to this girl, whatever. Everything's going well in my life. Why would I? So anyway, we're about five years into those phone calls and, um, which anybody listening should take, you got to find mentors in life. You got to find older people, older people that always want to help. Just like you guys are probably like, you're doing the podcast to help people, right? Mm-hmm. They always want to help as long as you take their advice. They don't, people don't want to waste time giving advice that no one listens to. So anyway, he calls me five years in and he says, listen, if you're not going to take my advice, he goes, just buy this stock. And I'd never bought a stock before. I didn't even have a stock account. And he, and he gives me this stock tip. And I've got to go, it's a, it's a drug company. And I've got to go, a pharmaceutical, to pick up a big check, like a $140,000 check from, from a customer that owed me money. It's, I finished the job and, and this mm. final payment. And it's, and it's free money at that point. It's going right in the bank. Hmm. And the guy I'm getting the money from is a pharmacist. So it's, it's obvious to me that, oh, I'll ask the pharmacist when I pick up my check about this pharmaceutical company the guy's telling me to buy the stock in. I walk into the house. He's towel drying. He just got out of the shower. This guy's name's Eli. And he says, uh, and I say, listen, my buddy just told me I should buy this stock, Syntex. And he says, um, he says, I can't, I can't believe you're bringing it up. He goes, I was just in the shower, and I was, I'm, I'm going to buy 10,000 shares of that today. 
So he sits me down and he walks me through this whole thing. You're not married. You're still making money. It'd be a great time to take risks like this. You know, if you lost the money, you'd recover pretty quickly. Later in life, you've got kids. You can't, can't take risks like this. <clears throat> Convinces me to take the whole $140,000 check and plunk it down. Oh, shit. Pretty bold move, that's right? That's a big ass. Fuck, yeah, that's a bold big, move. Bold move wow. right? 21 years old, 20, you yeah. got that? Well, yeah, that's... No, now I'm 25. Okay, 25, whatever. right? Yeah. So, so, um, so I do it. I, I take the whole check. I listen to him. I, I um, plunk it down. Well, the next day, the company gets taken over. It's up 10 bucks. I make 100 grand. Right away. Right away. One day, 24 hours. Yeah. Wow. I'm like... This is the greatest business ever. <laughs> I, I don't have to do a damn thing. I, I, I wasn't born to man. I didn't have to start the trucks. This is unbelievable, right? I'm selling the business. I'm going to Wall Street. You're oh, kidding me. Yeah, just that, like that. Just like wow. that. So I, I sit down with my guys who were um, Eastern Europeans. I had been very, very fortunate. The reason the business did so well is I, I, I found Polish that were coming over but, you know, back in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, that... that um, we're escaping, you know, the, the walls were up. I don't know, you guys yeah, you guys were born oh, yeah. later, but but um, they were tough motherfuckers because they grew up in tough times, right? And, and so they work hard. Nothing like, like, they never asked for vacation. They never asked for more. They just wanted more hours. Just give mm-hmm. us more hours. Mm-hmm. And um, and so those were, that was the natural, you know, I just sat down with them and I said, look guys, I'm making a, a pivot here. I'm going to Wall Street. Why don't you guys take the business, pay me overtime, whatever you can. Business is still going, and they're multimillionaires now. No shit. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. What a cool story. Awesome to, oh, yeah. to swing by there 25 years later and see it's thriving, and they're crushing it. Oh, very good. So so, um, so I go to Wall Street, and I got to take like 40 steps backwards, right? Because I got to interview, and then I got to take a $30,000 a year job, and then I'm getting shit on and yelled at and going <laughs> to get coffee for people. Talk about the size of your Man. balls to dude, do that. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you, my balls shrunk because <laughs> I literally, I remember the day, I can't even believe I'm saying this on, on, on camera, and I remember the day I was crying because I was like, I was the fucking, I could walk in anybody's house, people that kill people for a living, and I'm, you're shitting on you, motherfucker. Right. right? But I, had, I, had to, I had to take it. I had to take it, and, um, but I, uh, I rebuilt myself. Hard, hard to rebuild yourself in a brand new industry. I rebuilt myself, and, um, I was really fortunate because I was in an industry that I had no experience in, right? Hard to do, like you said. But what was awesome about it was I saw the inefficiencies of that business because I wasn't from it. Mm. I was looking really as Mm -hmm. an outsider. Everybody else was in it. This is the way things have always been done. This is the way we do it. I was looking at saying, you guys are idiots. Like New perspective. Yeah, you're doing this completely wrong. So I started my own business on Wall Street. We crushed it. Had a 10-year run. And um, I'm getting to your original question, which is how I'm, Spartan I'm loving the story to this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it yeah, explains yeah. so much why Spartan is kicking the shit out of everybody, too, now. Yeah. I mean, now it makes a lot of well, sense. It, I mean, it, it was so easy. I called a couple of guys from the neighborhood. I was like, hey, this competitor just started up. Can you whack him? So that's when you finally used yeah, the resources. So, it's so easy to, to succeed in business when you have those kind of connections, right? Yeah, we'll bring in the muscle. Yeah. yeah. You know, that whole thing I said about paying us to do some work with you, go ahead and scratch that. We'll just go ahead and do some favors for you, bro. I see yeah, that. No, no, no problem. Johnny's going to love that. <laughs> so, so, um, so where were we? So He's, Wall Street, you started oh, yeah. business. Yeah, ten, ten year run. run right now. Meet my meet my my wife, and um, I decide we're selling the selling the firm. We're gonna sell the Wall Street firm, and we're going to uh, we're going to Vermont. 
I want a farm. I want chickens, cows, kids, and um, I'm done. So sell the business, move up to uh, Vermont, buy a farm, start having babies, and I, I retired for like three days. Literally, I, I, I pace them back and forth. Now, you did you sell everything in Wall Street? I mean, you're done with it completely, and you decide it's family time for me, and I'm going to sell. And how old are you right here? So now it is 17 years ago. I'm 30, I'm 30 years old. Okay, 31, 30. 31 years old. Oh, no, hang on a second. Uh, sorry. I'm 35 years old. Okay. okay. Yep. So I'm 35, 36, and I'm on the farm, and I'm done. And that lasts about three days. Because I'm just I'm full of energy. I want to get stuff. I want to make stuff happen, and I start. Uh, I start. I say, you know what? Next to the swimming pool business in Queens was this great business still there called Russo's on the Bay. It's a wedding business, probably one of the most lucrative wedding businesses in all of New York. They'll charge you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to do a <laughs> wedding, and they're and they're pumping them out like there's four weddings on a Friday night. There's must be the company wow. that handles most celebrities. Then I would it sounds no, like. it's it's more it was handling the celebrities that were my customers. Those gotcha. Kind, those kind <laughs> yeah, of just, those yeah, kind of celebrities. Yeah, those yeah. kind of celebrities. So it just just it's become a machine. The food's great. They know what they're doing, but it's a little it's a little tacky. It's, it feels a little bit like Goodfellas. I'm sure I'll get in trouble for saying that, but um. But they, they, uh, they crush it. And so that was in the back of my head. I want to be in the wedding business maybe on this farm I have. So I start a wedding business where you can get married on a farm. We get married. My wife and I get married on the farm. We're the first one. And it just it starts to work. But I find myself in this weird spot because I have no room for guests. And I have no kitchen. Right? So the general store in town comes up for sale. And I'm like, you know what? I'll buy, I'll buy the general store. We'll turn that into the kitchen for the wedding business, and it'll be this cool, quaint uh, general store anyway when people come to the weddings. So uh, I call some buddies on Wall Street, and I'm like, look, you really won't get it. Why don't you um, invest, and we'll buy some of the things in the town. I'm going to buy this general store. We'll, we'll do some cool, fun stuff. Because if you're sitting in, on Wall Street, sitting on a trading desk typing all day, it'd be kind of cool mentally to think, oh, I own some acreage up in Vermont. Sure. I've got a general store. And right. So we ended up buying a large part of the town over time <laughs> <laughs> and um, definitely pissed some people off. If I had to do it again, I would have did it differently. But um, so we bought that, we bought another farm, we built a bunch of rooms and we, we built this wedding business. One of the ways to um, drive traffic to all this stuff we had was uh, races, putting on races. Cause I, I was participating. I didn't tell you this, but, but while I was on Wall Street, I was participating in races. I was doing. Crit- what kind of races were they back then? So, because this is well before any. Of the- this is well before. So it's like it's it's mid nineties. I just get to Wall Street and like an elevator in one of the buildings is busted. So I got to take the stairs. So I'm in the st- and I, again I did construction like push wheelbarrows, mix cement. I'm in the stair. I was already I was fit, and um, I see this guy carrying dumbbells in the stairs, and he's he's a cover of Men's Health guy. Looks it and actually is it mm-hmm. shredded, sweating six pack eight pack. He's a fantastic looking guy and. Um, I end up walking upstairs with him while he's got the dumbbells and we start talking and he's like, hey, meet me in the stairs. I work out every morning. You come, you know, we'll work out together. So I start working out with him and he brings me to an adventure race. I don't know what an adventure race is, but it's fucking awesome because it feels like I'm mixing cement again. I'm not mm-hmm. sitting on a trading desk, right? I'm, mm. I'm kayaking. I never kayaked before. I'm biking. I'm running. This is this is unbelievable. Like we're at war. This is like Game of Thrones. It feels feels. I'm, I'm alive, right? Right. right. Yeah. And um, so that was three hours. That was a three hour race we did together, mid nineties. 
So just because my personality, I'm like, what, what's, what's tougher than this? I got to do something bigger. I didn't win it or anything, but I just, I want to test myself. Right. Well, you could do 24 hour, but that's, you know, that's, you, you got to be prepared for that. You got to sign me up. I'm doing 24 hour. <laughs> so, um, signs me up for 24 hour, do that hook in Malibu. Actually, it was fantastic. Fell in love with it. I was like, all right, what I, I need the toughest race in the world. What, what do you got? You can't do that. You got to have a team. You got to train. I said, just fucking sign me up. I got <laughs> I got to fucking do it. I wanted before I changed my mind. Mm. And um, he's like, well, the Iditarod, you know, the dog oh, race. Get, oh, my God. Get the fuck but, out but of you, here. But you could do it by foot. So I was like, sign me up. So I'm instead d- of having the dogs no, pull no, you, no dogs. Up, We're going to make it harder, and you're going to- Yes. You're a maniac, sir. So, yeah. so again, I don't know what I'm getting into, which is the best way to do things, because if you know too much and you study it, and I'm, I'm just an idiot that way, right? So, so he's like, well, I'll try to convince this team. You need a team of four. I'll try to convince these three people. If you're paying the bill- they might take you on, but you know it's dangerous for them. If you're like a loafer and you quit in the middle of the you know waist deep snow in Alaska, you're gonna fuck everybody. <laughs> so, um, so I got to go through a series of tests with these three people for months to make sure that they're okay with me coming on their team, even if I'm paying the bill. So anyway, I hold my own. I, I convince them um, enough. It's probably more that I was paying the bill than it was my athletic ability because I'm not that athletic. And um, and they take me in. And they decide that we're going to do a series of races to get ready for that race. Kind of like a boxer would go into the ring and knock a couple of guys out to feel good. Sure. And these are going to be easy, like, gimmies, right? Well, one of them is in northern Quebec, and this is just going to be a gimme. And it was not a fucking gimme. <laughs> Even these guys said this was harder than the race we were <laughs> going to Alaska. Minus 30. It's got to be seven days. We're, it starts out with ice boating across the St. Lawrence River. Ice boating. Dude, I don't what? know what ice boating is. Yeah. Right? By the way, they've checked all the boxes for the organizers that I'm certified and all these. I've never done any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Oh, that I don't, is cool. I, I've certified. Been, yeah, yeah. climbing. What is that? Is it a even, boat made out of <laughs> ice or what? The fuck? You're, you're going across. You can and You're in the water and, yeah. and uh, many glaciers are smashing into you while you're going across. And you've got to then jump off the boat and run with spike shoes on the snow ice to push the boat through, right? So you're <laughs> sometimes you're waist deep in the water. This is like you know cold, freezing, cold fucking yeah, water, hypothermia right? type yeah. shit right here. Crazy shit. So that's that's the start. Like gun goes off <laughs> in the water, <laughs> getting shit. smashed. At into. that moment in your head, I, you got to be thinking, "What the fuck what did the I sign up?" Yeah, uh. the glaciers. This you know shit the size of like buses are hitting the boat. <laughs> So anyway, we were out there for six or seven days, and um, that was a game changer for me because when you're out there, what goes through your head, and this is what we try to recreate with Spartan, and we're going to, when I get to the end of this whole thing, it'll, it'll answer your question, which is um, you forget about like payroll, um, you forget about relationship problems, you forget about everything except water, food, and shelter. Like, man, I just... I just want to get out of this boat. <laughs> I, just, I just want to get home. I just right, like the frame of reference completely changes, and it's a very refreshing place to be I because bet. all that stuff drops off your shoulders. Your shoulders drop, and it's just, I just want to live, right? I just we, want. To, we, we talk about this all the time on the show of being ultimately like present, right? Like just being. I mean, it forces. You have no choice. Yeah, yeah. it forces you. It humbles the fuck out of you. Forces you to be just mindful and present. And realize, like, God, how simple. Well, I think it's also uh, it's also powerful um, and transcendent because you realize just how capable 
your body and your mind truly is. And then we go back to your regular life, your normal stresses and stuff are trivial. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the emails and the whatever, and you're like, it's not a big deal. I'm, I was, you know, waist yeah. high in, you know, snow <laughs> water. And, uh, you know, I had no food. And now this email, who gives a shit? It's not a big deal. That's why some of the calmest people you ever meet are people that deal with that stuff on a regular basis. You know, I used to, right. you know, I've, I've met, you know, when you, when you meet people who actually, you, there's a lot of people who think they're tough guys, you know, they want to fight all the time in the bar. You ever go hang out with actual fighters who get their ass kicked all the time and, and fight? They're the calmest yeah. people at the bars because they, they don't need to do that stuff. So no, pretty amazing. No, no doubt about it. Um, and, and, and to that point, I, um, as I'm going through all this, it's like all that, the, the stuff my mother was saying over the years about the meditation and the yoga and the fasting and everything that I, w- sense. that I wasn't accepting, right? You're out there in waist deep snow free. My eyelashes are frozen, <laughs> right? Literally frozen. <laughs> and, um, and everything she was saying was, was, was right. The other interesting thing coming out of that race in, in Northern, um, we almost died in that race, which is we could do, we'll do another podcast at some point and I'll tell you about that story. But, um, I wrote, I recapped the whole race. I wrote it all down and I sent it to all my, my buddies, a lot of them Wall Street buddies. And I remember this very, very successful guy, still a great buddy, wrote back and said, shit, I thought I had a tough day today because I couldn't find a parking spot <laughs> near, near the grocery stores. I had to walk like two blocks carrying four bags. And I thought to myself, exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. right? Like that frame of reference of, hang on a second, that would have been a big deal prior to going and doing something tough. So it's really important that all of us um, take ourselves out of our comfort zone and do go way past mm. any perceived limits because it just makes everything else in life simple. Like like all the experiences we could talk about here and all the stuff I've done or you guys have done, um, what it does for me in an airplane, like like you could be upset Wi-Fi is not working. You could be upset that you're stuck in this tiny little thing. You had to pay for baggage or whatever. I don't get upset because I say to myself, if the plane lands, I've won. Mm-hmm. I just want the plane to land, right? Right, because because there's other options. The plane might not land, <laughs> right? Right. right. So so um, whole new perspective. It, it's it's one of the reasons why sometimes you see you have like my parents are immigrants, and when you were talking about your the the Polish you know guys that you work with, it reminded me a lot of my father, my grandfather. I mean, they're they're Sicilian immigrants, and they were poor. And um, it's just thing, you know, they, they worked so hard grateful and they were to so, work, grateful to have. Well, work, they were right? just so grateful for opportunities to do these, you know, things, and they never complained about being tired or whatever. They were genuinely happy, and they just had a different, you know, different point of reference. And you know, it's interesting because humans, we evolved being challenged quite a bit, and it's relatively recently that we've got all these comforts, as you know, climate control. You know, I don't have to worry about freezing or being too hot. I have water whenever I want it. I, we have so much water, we take a shit in it, for God's sakes, you know? Right. Well, we got food whenever we want, any flavor we want of food. Uh, I can learn any piece of information I want at my fingertips. And so it makes sense that, you know, races like yours and challenges in, you know, in that sphere are gaining more popularity because it's something that we need. You know, it's almost like we desire and we need it. We don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. And we know something's missing. You know, we know something's missing. We got all the stuff that we could ever want. People aren't starving anymore. People aren't dying from infections like they used to. But people aren't happy, and they can't figure out why. Why am I not happy? I have everything I want. And Perspective. Maybe it's because we just don't get challenged, you know, like we used to. We don't. We don't. We don't know what that feels like, because it's you know uh, similar to what you're talking about. People have experiences like that when they travel. You talk to somebody who travels to a, another country, especially a third world nation, 
they come back and they if they they're they're changed because it, it changes the perspective of things. They realize now when they were complaining about their house being small and they got too much shit and they come home they're like I can't believe I have all this space and all this crap that I don't need. You have to go kill my food for dinner, you know, and like the process that all that takes. It's just like we we just take all this stuff for granted. And there's a piece of fitness, you know, we're obviously a fitness podcast. There's a piece of fitness there that, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, some of the drawbacks uh, of fitness where people, you know, they, they go into working out and they beat themselves up too much and they, they hurt their bodies and they don't take care of themselves. And they don't train because they love themselves. They train because they hate themselves. But uh, sometimes I think the message gets a little twisted and then people think that the challenging part of fitness isn't important and that you shouldn't test yourself. You shouldn't go push yourself to your limit because it's not always good to do that. Uh, but there's a lot more benefit that you get from it. And it's not necessarily the physical, you know, that, that, that race you did where you almost died in the snow or whatever in the water, you didn't come back more fit physically necessarily from it. You probably were a little damaged. I'm sure you felt like shit for a little while afterwards, but the emotional and mental, uh, gains you got from that, uh, you couldn't have gotten otherwise. No, it helps you push. Um, it helps you push further later. Absolutely, things, right? Whether it's whether it's lifting a gym or whether it's dealing with a business or a relationship or whatever. Who your, your who are your your biggest? Uh, I guess the market that really uh, jives with your races. The the you know the kind of people that really enjoy doing those races and sign up. Of course, you have the hard, hardcore athletes that do it. Um, but I got to assume that a majority are just people who just want to challenge themselves and I had um I had a 696 pound guy come out and Whoa, do one of our races. You're kidding me. Yeah. I had my mother-in-law who's in her mid 60s knocked out our race in Tokyo last week. So I had an 81-year-old in Shanghai 3 weeks ago come out. We've got my yeah, I've got 7-year-olds, 12-year-olds like they all come out and do it. It does it complete white but if you if you said Joe, who's the who's the biggest audience? It's obviously CrossFit. It's obviously military. Sure. Um, it's anybody that's hitting the gym and wants to be fit. That's the bulk of it, but but that's only 30 40% when I say bulk. Mm-hmm. The balance is just anybody that's saying, you know what, I'm not happy, to your point. I'm not mm-hmm. happy. There's got to be some other way to define myself instead of a cubicle and some handbag I'm purchasing, right, to say that I'm cool. <laughs> um, and so, you know, tens of thousands of tattoos – logoed on their body because they want to be who doesn't want to be a spartan mm. forget about our brand for a second like who wouldn't want to be a spartan sure to find it right that sure. just has all the values and qualities that you'd you'd want mm. so how many you, you were telling us like how many races happen a year so 200 events a year 30 countries a million participants holy cow Holy cow. And, and where's the growth? You guys are televised and you're seeing a lot of growth there. A couple of television shows, working on more uh, additional shows. Um, big growth overseas. Obviously, I just I just uh, did two years in Asia with my family specifically to, to grow out Asia for, for Spartan. So China is going to be our biggest market. Oh, my gosh. That, wow. I can't even imagine. That market will, will trump ours. I got a funny one for you. So Japan was the hardest market for us to crack, which you would think sitting in this room, Japan would be easiest, right? Those are tough people. As a matter of fact, Ninja Warrior came from mm-hmm. Japan. Yeah, so obstacle races in general. Yeah. came from Japan. Yeah. So I, that was my first go-to. Right. Could not crack that market. I had to have focus groups. We had to sit around with 30 Japanese and show them the videos. And hmm. they all winced at the barbed wire. And <laughs> they weren't, they, you know, we got to change the product and we're not sure. Nobody's going to be interested. I said, fuck it, I'm moving there. 
So I moved my family to Japan. Oh, shit. And, 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 to and, figure it out. To figure it out. I, I landed there. I had a race open within three months. It sold out two months later. All Japanese. I just had the race last weekend. Uh, Japanese are going crazy for it. But here's the, here's the, the really funny story. I get a call from uh, a company that makes Hello Kitty. You guys know Hello yeah, Kitty? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Hello Kitty is, right? <laughs> bring me into this, this uh, thing. They sit me down on a pink chair. I'm in the president's room. And I That's going to be crazy for a guy who doesn't know Hello Kitty, right? I don't, so, know, how, I don't oh, even know what, what I'm doing here. Yeah. And they're showing me mock-ups of the Spartan logo with Hello Kitty. In it. <laughs> no way. And they want to do, and I'm like, Are you insulted at this point? Or you don't know? How to, I can't be right because yeah, they're inviting. Yeah, you that's in, a right? huge brand too. I yeah, mean, and Hello Kitty is like, massive. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, wow. I'm driving a minivan. I got Hello Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to soften. Yeah. So you what up happened a in bit. that meeting? They sit yeah. you down. What, what? So a lot of it was in Japanese. I'm still trying to figure out what they said, but, <laughs> but I did see the the photos of the um, the logo with Hello Kitty, and they want to do something. Well, it my? I think my audience would revolt. They'd probably <laughs> kill me if we did something with Hello Kitty. But, Holy um, cow! It was it was really funny. That is crazy. so. You you seemed. I mean, it sounds like you were born with this um, kind of driving attitude. I mean, uh, obviously, look. I mean, hindsight, right? Twenty twenty. All the decisions you made were the right ones or whatever. But uh, at the moment, uh, it would sound crazy to a lot of people. All the pivots you did in, in situations where you were already killing it. You were already doing great. You know, you made it, and now you said, "No, I want to start over and do something else." It, 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 and you've interviewed some extremely successful people. Mm-hmm. Do you see that attitude? Is that is that a common attitude amongst these people where they're just like, I want to, you know, this is my new thing. I'm challenged here. I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to do it. And I, well, so I interview a lot of people specifically on success. So that that is a question I, I I try to dive into, like what makes a person successful. And I think the one attribute is uh, not really caring what other people think, right. right? And so that's forget about what other people think. And so those pivots. Um, why would somebody not pivot? Let's talk about that for a second. Why right. would you not change what you're doing? Well, one, you care what other people think. Two, is you're afraid. Like, is it not fear work? is a big one? Fear is yeah. a big one. And so, the great samurai. And oh, I got some great stories for you. I got to tell you about Japan. But the great samurai, what they would do when they went to bed every night to to eliminate fear, um, because they're going to go into battle and probably die was to burn everything in their mind. So in their mind, they burn their family, they burn their possessions, everything. They were basically dead. They lost everything. And if they can come to terms with that, well, then you're no longer fearful when, when you're in the battle, mm. right? Because I've already dealt with it. I dealt with it last night. It's all gone. Mm. So now what? What's your next move, right? You're not, you're not going to scare me. And so I'm sure fighters, MMA, I'm, I'm, you know, if, that's the trick. If you, could, if you could just think, what am I afraid of? And then come to terms with, okay, so... Let's say that happens, right? Here's my biggest fear. That yeah, happens. Now that, what? Now what? What's, ne- what's your next move? So if I lost that $140,000, what Eli was saying to me when he sat me down was, it's okay. You're making money. You're young. You're, like, it'd be much worse if you had five kids and your back was against the wall and you're trying to make you know, ends meet. But that's not the situation. So I, I do a lot of upside, downside decision making all day long. What's the upside? What's the downside? The upside is if this works going to Wall Street, I'm going to make a lot more money in a lot less time. And for me, it was about making money at that moment in time. That was my, that mm-hmm. was my life's purpose because if I had money, that was a tool for me to do some really cool things. Um, Great way to put that. Right? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, well, 
I already got a business. I'll just <clears throat> like I'll go back to doing this, mm-hmm. right? right? So, so I don't know. It's it's easier for me to pivot than than um, than maybe most people because I use that quick analysis, upside downside decision making. And 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 one last thing, sorry to interrupt you, is yeah. um, I, life is too short for me to be stuck doing one thing. I want to do a lot of things, right. and and um, and I didn't want to be a pool guy for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with it. that. Was not my plan. And I didn't want to be sitting in front of a computer screen for that. Was not my lifelong plan. And so maybe deep down inside somewhere there was this purpose. I want to get people healthy. I didn't know that that was in there, but but um, but if you do go out and make some money, well then you can afford to do some cool things on like. It was actually a wise guy that told me this. Sat me down at his long wooden table in in uh, in Queens in the house. I was just done working in his backyard, and uh, we were probably eating some uh, mozzarella and tomatoes on assembly and Italian <laughs> bread. And he said to me, the, "the the most important, surprising coming from him, the most important thing in life is to help people." Mm. Right. So um, you know, maybe he was feeling bad for some of the things he did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but it stuck with me. So. I don't know if that answers and, your question. And so, you know, now you have a business that does that. So you get to do both. I'm very, very fortunate. You guys are very fortunate. Absolutely. In, in that we get paid to help people. And right. we get people yeah. thanking us, right? And so that, so yeah, I'm, i got to kiss the ground I walk on. It's That's unbelievable. A, so so knowing that, what scares you now? What are the what are the things now you look at and say, okay, here's the fears I need to work on and, or are and tackle there, now? Are or there are there, thing, there any? Yeah, I was going to say, are there any things that... Yeah, so yesterday I put, so we, we just flew back from Tokyo. I packed all the family up. Our job was done when the race went off. You have kids, yeah? Four, four children. Oh, good for you. And, and, um, and I put them on a plane yesterday morning at 5 a.m. And the thing that scared me was having the whole family on a plane. Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. Right? God forbid. Right. And, and so that scares me. Um, other than that, like, you know, a lot of Italian guys used to say to me, you came to this country with two shoes, I'll go, I'll go home with two shoes. Like, you know what I mean? I saw lots of guys make it big and then fall. You know, success is like a moment in time. Mm. And so you just got to know that, that that same ladder you go up, you're probably coming down. So I'm not really fearful of that. Um, it's really my family. Mm-hmm. Something you said that was that kind of stuck with me uh, that reminded me a little bit of an experience I had uh, getting into the fitness industry was when you when you got into some of these new industries you didn't know that you you didn't know that you couldn't or you didn't know how hard it was like you know had you been in Wall Street or had you been in that world you would have known how crazy it was to try and jump in and be successful but you had no idea you went in there and it's like I'm I'm gonna do this I had a similar experience you know running health clubs I mean I was 19 years old they gave me this big gym to run and I didn't know that it, w- it was a hard thing to do I just did it. Looking back, I thought it was oh my god, that was crazy. And uh, sometimes it's better. Sometimes I think it's better doing something and not not having any idea what the risks are and what the challenges are. Well, one of our no, I was going to say a guy like you. I, I I would think too something that it took me a while. It took me a couple of businesses. I, we're all serial entrepreneurs. So we all have that in common. Uh, I started to realize really quick that the more you know, scary situations or starting over situations I put myself in, the better I became too. I think uh, my biggest fear is getting comfortable and staying in a business or the same thing for so long. I like to be challenged and the best of me comes out when I put that. Do you find that about yourself too? I think it's all of us. Yeah. Not, not, as a human being, you, you, you mentioned it earlier and the way we've evolved on this planet, I think 
I think our best does come out when we're pushed, uh, when our back's against the wall. I, I was going to say, I was going to say something, but I forgot. But I, uh, let's dive down that road. So I build these businesses in Vermont. I, I build the, uh, the general store, the farm, the bed and breakfast, all around this wedding and, and event um, industry. And what I say to myself is I need a young Joe to come and run that general store. I need a young person to come run that farm. I need a young person to come run the bed and breakfast. And I'm going to give them a leg up that I didn't have when I was starting. I'm going to, the mortgage is already paid for. The cow is already purchased. There's already inventory in the general store. And it's going to be easy. I just got to find some kid with, with a uh, guy or girl with fire in their belly to run these businesses. Home run. I wish I was given that opportunity right, when right. I was starting. Not right? as easy as you think. Though. Yeah, I had, to, I had to steal stuff to, like, I had no, <laughs> right? So, um, so I get, I get people over, over a decade. I get people to come in, run the general store on the farm. And what I found was when the going got tough, they quit, right? And so why did they, what, like, I'm, so I'm analyzing, why was that happening over and over and over? I'll tell you why. Because their back wasn't against the wall. Because they weren't uncomfortable. Because the cows were paid for. The mortgage was paid, right? Actually, what makes us successful, which is to your point, is the adversity. Right. The, the mortgage, the fact that you told all your friends you were going to do this, right? So you got to get out of your comfort zone to be successful. Mm-hmm. You have to. That's what drives success. 100%. Yeah, if this was easy and you just walked in and everything was paid for and there were advertisers for your podcast, you actually wouldn't be successful. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice metaphor for your races. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, right. they're not they're not easy. No, they're know? not. And purposely, purposely purpose. designed to to to. to I, I feel like I've got to recreate what happened to me in Alaska and northern Canada that I described earlier. And I've got hours to do that mm-hmm. to somebody. Wow. So so people look Is at there me, ice boating. No. <laughs> no, no ice boating. <laughs> no, no ice boating. But we do. But we do have winter races. Funny enough, we're very big in Eastern Europe, really big in Eastern Europe. And the reason we're big in Eastern Europe is because of my guys that I had the swimming pool business with. You're kidding me. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so they and some others from Slovakia helped me set up um, the business there. And our first winter race, because they're the most badass people on earth, right, uh, Yeah. was over there. I said, who's going to do a winter race? They did it. Wow. I went out there and did it with – it was – in the snow. Wow. It was awesome. You, you still do the races? I still go out and do the races. Oh, that's, I, that's I'm, awesome, I'm, not, I'm not competitive, but I go out and do them. Oh, that's insane. That's, that's so, okay. So you did the Quebec one. It sounded like, I think you said you had like two more races. When did the company take off first and how did that happen? Where did it? So, so, um, so I do all these races and in the back of my mind, because I'm like you guys, serial entrepreneur, I'm thinking, you know, you're out there paddling for 24 hours. You got nothing to do. I'm thinking <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put on some races. So the first race I put on is actually in the British Virgin Islands. And I'm going to do a um, 350-mile event I'm going to put on. It's going to include paddling. It's going to include swimming, sailing. It's going to be unbelievable. And I bring in my friends now that I've been racing with for some years, and we put it on. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster on a few fronts. Financially, there's not a lot of people that want to do 350-mile, eight-day races. So there's just not enough entry fees to pay the bills. But... In addition to that, I lost a guy, literally lost a guy who uh, was working for us and setting ropes. And um, apparently he was on a dinghy on a little boat and a storm rolled in and the engine didn't start and he drifted away. Well, eight days later, I find out from our staff that we're missing, I forget his name, Mike or whatever, right? How the fuck are you missing? Eight days later, you're telling me? Well, we thought he was on the island and when the race was over, anyway... I got the Coast Guard involved, 
Coast Guard uh, triangulates where somebody last saw him, the storms that rolled in, and they estimate that if he's alive, he's in Tobago, which is 150 miles away. They take the choppers, Coast Guard shot, and they find him. He's on, he's on wow, the island. He, he drifted 150 amazing. miles, and it's literally like an uh, eight-day survivor where he's living out there eating crabs and, um, and drinking bottles of water that drifted to Little Tobago. No shit. Wow. Yeah. So that was that was um, the end of that format of race. <laughs> oh, that could have ended horribly. I, I lost I lost a guy oh, and a half a million God. dollars. So that yeah. Was, oh, that was, yeah. Shit. That's gnarly. So so um so then the next format I tried a whole bunch of of formats of events, and um, in 2010 after losing millions of dollars uh, attempting this and trying to get it to work, um, sitting around the kitchen came up with the name Spartan, changed the format to three different distances, three mile, eight mile, and 13 mile. And the thinking there was, when I go into a season racing, we start out with something easy right after you know the holidays, you get a little plump, and then you're, and then you're coming out and you're like, I wanna do something at this distance, and then midsummer you're doing something, and then you finish it in like October, November with something big. That's your big event. And when you do three events minimum a year, what I was finding over this decade of racing was, um, you actually get in shape. It changes your habits because you're always training sure. for something. If Absolutely. you just have one event a year on the count, it just doesn't work. So the idea was, all right, we'll call it Spartan, three distances. People space mm. it out that way. Very smart. Yeah, and, and, um, and it's going to have a philosophy to it, right? Because my mom had this deep philosophy to all this stuff. It's going to be around health and wellness. We'll never have uh, a brand that's unhealthy as a sponsor. Mm. That was the idea. Again, it's 2010, 10 years of losing money doing this. It's probably not going to work. The most I'm going to invest in this new idea is 50 grand. That's it. And, um, and we'll take a swing at it because I'm done losing money in this. And it, it's just, I don't know if I can get it to work. Well, 50 grand quickly turns into 150 grand, which turns into... <laughs> which always does, right? Yeah. We yeah, know that. Know. <laughs> yeah. Which, and then it turns into um, literally 300,000 a month on my credit cards. Three hundred thousand a month. And what, what is it that's costing so much money to to try and get this to work? Well, I'm an idiot, right? I'm a complete <laughs> I'm a complete idiot. And 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 we talked about it before. I subscribe to Fire Ready Aim. But that's what you're you in good my company. Yeah. That's you're in good company right now. <laughs> yeah. welcome, welcome to the team. So I yeah. so I had fired, and we launched an event or two. And when you're in the event space, and you launch an event, and you say on July second, we're having this race. Well, you're having that race whether there's 10 people there or 10,000 people there, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you have integrity and you want to honor the, sure. the tickets you yeah. sold, you're going to – and so you're either going to lose a ton of money or break even. Like there's – if you don't get people there, you're dead. And so um, the idiot that I am, we launched in Vermont, which was the wrong place to launch. And then coming out of Vermont, we quickly went to like Canada. And then from Canada, we went to UK – and and when you're if you're smart about launching a brand, you, you build rings around you, you where you cluster start. them. Yeah, right, right. but I'm not smart, so so um, I've got to plunk down money to market and put on these events everywhere, and I'm juggling credit cards. And I remember my bookkeeper walks into the office one day, and it's probably 2011, and she's like, "You're almost out of money. Like, what the fuck are you doing?" And I remember thinking. I just worked like 23 years straight between the, the swimming pool business, construction business, Wall Street, and I've blown all this fucking money in a year and a half on, on trying to make this thing work. And I said to her, I said, I'm telling you, there's something here. I know there's something here. And um, 
I called a bunch of Wall Street buddies and I said, look, you're not going to understand this business. Um, I have no business plan. I have no valuation, but I need money <laughs> and I need money by Monday and um, or I'm dead kind yeah, of thing. I love right? this attitude. Right? And, so, uh, and so they sent me money and, and, uh, and they're doing very well because of it. Uh, they were awesome. And so uh, I remember the day it turned was probably 2013. So two years later, I remember the, the young kid that was doing our accounting walks in and says, hey, we, you know, we had 1,300 registrations yesterday. I'm like, There's no fucking way we had 30. Like, yesterday? Yeah. As in like, one day? One day. And I was wow. like, wow. But, you know, we were averaging, I'm making up numbers, but just to give you an, an sure. idea of, yeah. of, of, we were averaging like 80 a day, 90, right? And all of a sudden. And it was like, there, and I, oh, you, you fucked up the numbers, right? And no, it's 13. And we went back and forth and we looked and it was like, wow. And so I think what happened, I think it just took a while. Like when you don't cluster and don't build rings, it just took a while to create a network effect where all of a sudden everybody knew sure. what this thing was. And so um, it's it's always it always shocks me at just how long a freaking overnight success takes. You know what I mean? Seventeen oh, yeah. fucking years. <laughs> Seventeen years and ninety five percent of your money. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. people always look back and like, oh, overnight yeah. success, Spartan race from nowhere to yeah. now. When uh, when this was all happening, what do you know? What's going on with like the the other ones, like Go Ruck and the and um, Tough Mudder, Tough Mudder yeah. and like, did that happen after? Or this, are they competitively going at the same time? What so so in any industry, podcasts, radio, automobile manufacturing, uh, everybody rushes in, right. and and at that time, you were coming out of a really difficult financial crash that's right so anybody w that was in construction that had a hammer or a screw gun was fucked. now in the op well now they were in the obstacle racing business right? <laughs> <laughs> so there were three or four hundred competitors that popped up overnight whoa that many oh they I were everywhere know that. Yeah, wow. yeah everywhere everybody was but what happened was a lot of them ended up not putting on the events because to put on an event 600 cost six hundred thousand dollars to put on an event wow so if you don't have enough people there you're gonna lose you know it, it cuts both ways it's mm -hmm. it's pretty painful so these guys um all launched out of everywhere everybody had an opinion on how they were going to do it and a name and this and that and we were fighting battles uh competitively everywhere on on just getting our brand to stand out now we got really lucky on a couple of things one is we got lucky with the name like, like I wish, I wish I could say to you, we sat around and strategized and had branding experts. No, it was like Spartan. Oh, that sounds cool. Let's just do it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that name has meaning for thousands of years. It just means something to people, right? right? Yeah. So that's great. Two is, I because I was racing for over a decade, was not going to do something that was just silly and about mud and about hurting people. It had to be authentic. It had to be athletic. That was just my. I wasn't going to be involved in something that wasn't legit. We were going to mm -hmm. time people. And by the way, if you couldn't do an obstacle, okay, but you're doing 30 burpees. It was going to be painful. Like mm -hmm. There was going to be punishment. Not in a negative way, but like you had to attempt and to do the obstacle, and you had to get proficient at it. And if you didn't, oh, well, you're doing 30 burpees, which sucks. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, on all these things, timing people, on, on making, forcing them to do the burpees if they can't do the – making it athletic and not doing silly things – those actually hurt the business in the early days because they're people, not gimmicky. They're not gimmicky. Yeah. And, and people were afraid of it. Right. But, but I, I stuck to it and I said, no, we're this, like, I'm not going to be involved in it if it's gimmicky. I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. That's third, long term thinking there. Yeah. But yeah. And it was, I, I, again, I wish I could say I was smart, but it was just like, no, I'm, it's just not me. Sure. Right. Integrity. And, and, and yeah. And then, and then third was my mom and the philosophy from all those uh, years of, of, 
of the monks, right? And the yoga and the fasting. It was like this, the race is just the tip of the iceberg. Below the surface is a philosophy on how to live. And that's what's going to be um, oozing out of this, this brand. And so, again, people didn't notice it right away. But when we look back now, seven years later, 17 years for me, but 17, seven years later from the start of Spartan, we're growing at 20% a year. We're, we're mm. the largest endurance running company in the world. It's because of those silly little things. You know, they say we make a lot of small decisions in life that are seemingly insignificant. But I, I like to um, use the analogy of if, if the four of us were in a rocket ship right now and there were a bunch of dials and knobs and stuff, and we turn one a millimeter to the right, you'd be like, oh, it's no big deal, except you end up on the wrong planet, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah. yeah, and so the little decisions that I just described, I think are the reason we're, we've got a moment of time where we're successful well, Especially right in today's market, uh, it's not just about a product, but it's about the why, Mm-hmm. behind the product you know like apple does as well as they do for example because of the whole the whole thing the whole brand the whole philosophy and it sounds like you guys are doing that uh you've got that understanding so it's what's giving you you know so much market share and why you continue to grow no doubt about it and yeah. now and now everybody's trying to copy what we did but it's hard because if you're not authentic about it it's um the consumer knows mm-hmm. yeah. yeah now besides the the races how else does do you guys monetize is you guys have apparel and, and retail and stuff like that or what does the whole business look like we do so um we have an apparel business we, which is which should be really should dwarf everything we do because of this name spartan mm-hmm. right um but we're just too busy with events and growing events right now but it's a it's a sizable business put it this way Anybody would just like our apparel, our apparel business big enough that it'd be a nice little side business mm-hmm. for anybody, mm-hmm. but it should be much bigger. Um, we've got um, a little bit of a training business. We built a gym down in Miami with uh, Barry Sternlich from um, Starwood. Mm-hmm. So he built a, a brand new kick-ass hotel on the beach called The One, O-N-E, and he built us out a $5 million Jim, it's it's unbelievable. It's wow. unbelievable. You got to see this place. Awesome. So we got we got uh, complete creative control and a complete programming control, and uh, and he's an awesome guy. I've had him on the podcast. Um, he's a badass, and so uh, he helped us out with that. And we're, we hope to stamp more of those around the world. And and uh, and then we got the podcast and all the media and the television shows and stuff. But if I told you it was easy and I had a perfect strategy in front, I'd be lying to you. It's, sure. I'm I'm fighting fires every day. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's part of it, though. And I love I love when people like you share that and talk about it because everybody sees the glamorous side of it. Like, oh, he's flying around all over the world and he gets this. And he's got nice cars. He's all these things like that. And just people think it's just like, oh, come on. Driving a it. fucking minivan. <laughs> <laughs> a minivan out front. And, and my kids say, what is that? And I say, well, that's first class. Well, how come we're not sitting there? Well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We have to get that's that awesome. photo, by the way, of him in that minivan yeah. when he leaves today, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what are you looking to move ahead? Move ahead, you know, excuse me, moving ahead. What are you guys looking to, to, to tackle or do now? Well, I mean, the big thing for me is could we change 100 million lives? Got big, it. bold ambition, mm-hmm. and, and how do we do that? And we want to get people eating properly, just like you guys. We mm-hmm. want to get them thinking. It's a big thing, right? Thinking like a Spartan and, and, um, and then getting out there and, and actually living it and training. And, and unfortunately, the way the human beings are today, to, to your point, unless you have an event on the schedule, unless you're a very unique individual and you're not going into that gym every day and training, you guys are unique. Some of your listeners are unique, but most people they need a date. They mm-hmm. need something that's that's scaring them into training, mm. right? And mm-hmm. not and not taking the extra scoop of ice cream. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny one. 
So uh, we talked about um, delayed gratification. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Stanford, not too far from here, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Walter Mischel, 1972, puts out something. Very familiar with the study you're quoting. You know the study. Yeah. Keep, should, I, yeah. should I? Yeah, should yeah, I, yeah do yeah. it. Talk about it. So, so uh, puts a bunch <laughs> of kids in cubicles, uh, offers kids um, marshmallow. Kids could take the marshmallow now or they could wait and, and get too late. Oh, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great, great study. Mo- most kids um, take the marshmallow, but they followed them for 30 years. And what they found were the, the kids that... Uh, were able to abstain from eating the marshmallow, had better lives in, in every respect, right? Better SAT scores, better marriages, better cars, house, everything. Yeah, the whole thing was basically eat one marshmallow now or wait, and they gave them some time, amount of time, which to a little kid is forever. And if you wait, I'll give you two marshmallows. Yeah. And the ones that did that across the board, far more successful. It's yeah. that delayed gratification, that understanding mm-hmm. that if I wait now, I'll get more later. Yeah. And they find that very, very common amongst all most successful people. Except for the few, you know, lucky ones or whatever. Outliers, yeah, yeah. And I, I learned a lot of that probably from uh, the neighborhood with, with those guys um, in, in some respects. Certainly my neighbor that got me started in the business, he, he would say to me, look, you're in the backyard anyway. Straighten up the shed. Straighten up the lawn furniture. Clean around the pool. I know you're not getting paid for that, but go the extra mile because when that person comes home, that customer comes home, they're going to say, oh, my God, I can't live without this guy, Right. But most people would say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting paid. If I don't get money right now, I'm not. So anyway, I I expanded that to my whole life. My son, he's six years old at the time. I'm like, I got to test him. I got to do the marshmallow test. Oh, did you? But I'm a little scared because I'm like, fuck. What happens if he takes the marshmallow? Right, if he takes the marshmallow, I'm fucked the rest of my life, right? (laughs) Do I I want to know or not know, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're out late one night. We're in, we're in, uh, Brooklyn, I'm, I'm, I take him on a little trip, and we're in Brooklyn, and it's like ten o'clock at night. He should be in bed at eight, so I'm already I'm justifying in my head. Well, if he takes it, maybe he's tired. He's tired, yeah. right? There's a lot of excuses I can come up with. So I give him a scoop of ice cream, and I'm like, "Hey, Jack," um, which I don't give them junk foods, so already I'm, I'm against deal. I'm against the wall on this one. So I say, "Or you could wait, and I'll give you two. And my timer on my phone's about three and a half minutes in, and he turns to me and he says, "Hey, Dad." How long do I have to wait to get 15 scoops? Oh, <laughs> gangster. I thought, Smart wait, kid. <laughs> but, 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 you know, you want to end this thing, this, this conversation we're having here, we're playing for 15 scoops in life. Fuck yeah. Right? Yeah. We're playing for 15 scoops. Fuck yeah. So, Absolutely. So um, don't take the cookie. I love it, I love dude. It, That's a beautiful That's a way to wrap way to right there, That's man. Beautiful. That's a beautiful way really, to wrap. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah, the conversation. Yeah, yeah Joe, what, excellent. Man, excellent, what, a, what a pleasure having you down. I hope we could do something together in the future, man. We're going to do, do stuff. Yeah, no, All I right. want to actually, let's let's turn this shit off because I actually want to talk to you about business. I've, my wheels have been turning the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> yeah. You guys so. want me to sign off here? Yeah, go ahead, sure, sign yeah, off. All right, so 30 Days of Coaching available for free at mindpumpmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at mindpumpmedia. And our personal pages, mine is Mind Pump Sal, Adam is Mind Pump Adam, and Justin is Mind Pump Justin. Okay, Joe, you got to tell me, you got to tell me the Japan story, bro. So, so <laughs> lay it down. I don't know if it's 10, 15 years ago, I read in the New York Times about these marathon monks. And it, and it catches my attention because of my mom's background, having the monks in the living room and, and believing in all this stuff. And I don't, I never dove deep and really understood Buddhism or any of this, but, but the marathon word, I think with the monk got me excited, right? So I, I dive in and I start learning about these guys in Japan that basically, let's say the four of us wanted to become monks. We would go up this mountain, Mount Hai. I'm, anybody Japanese listening says I'm saying it wrong. Um, and we would knock on the door. And this, these, these uh, temples on this mountain have been around for like eight, 900 years. They came over from China. And if there's eight, let, I, I'm going to screw this up, 
disciplines within Buddhism, six of them came from this mountain, mm -hmm. okay? So we show up there, we knock on the door, we're like, all right, we're ready, we wanna be monks. They're like, great, shave your head, throw on this robe, take these wooden sandals. You guys look you know, fit, right? You've been training in San Jose, so you should be fine. <laughs> um, and they're like, you gotta do uh, 100 days of marathons around this, there's like a trail system. 100 and, days? 100 days, so, so every day we're gonna do a marathon. And along the way, you know, it's not a race, guys, they're telling us. You pray and you've got your incense you light and, and you get spiritual. And so we do the 100 days. We shaved our heads. We got the wooden sandals on. We got the robes. We knock out 100 days. We high five each other. We're like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to do a podcast. We knocked out 100 days. We're going to be monks. And they're like, all right, great job on the 100 days. Take this rope and take this sword. Now we know you're serious. You got 800 more days to go. But oh if God. you decide to quit, guys, you got to kill yourself on the course. So that's the deal. Right? What? <laughs> what the fuck? That's the deal. Whoa. And this has been going on for close to a thousand years. And so I gotta go. I gotta go see these fucking monks, right? dude. Holy so shit! I'm in Southeast Asia last year, and I meet this guy just like I met you guys randomly. And I'm telling him about this. He's like, he's like, dude, I got the map from that New York Times writer. I know her. I said, we're going. I'm buying you a ticket. We are. I got to meet these marathon monks. Matter of fact, we're gonna go scout it out. I'm gonna bring my family because I want to show my kids the monks that kill themselves because they're quitters versus the monks that finish and are winners, right? Oh my God. So he, he gets the map, we go out, we're gonna go do it ourselves the week in advance of my family come. I can't tell my family what I'm, I'm just gonna tell them we're gonna go for a little walk. I can't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, my wife will kill me, right? So, so me and David go out, we bring a third friend and he's trying to navigate. I, had, I didn't live in Japan at this time. I was in Southeast Asia. I don't no Japanese. He's trying to navigate the train system to get us to this mountain. No one really knows this place. We take the train. The train ends. We get off and we're like, oh, it's going to be awesome. The trolley that goes up the mountain is, is shut for the season. So we're like, well, fuck it. We'll just we'll hike up the mountain, right? He's like, yeah, I think I could kind of figure it out. Anyway, it's like a two-hour hike straight up this mountain. We get up the mountain. We're a little lost. We're going in circles and it doesn't look like we're going to be able to find this thing. Out of the corner, I hear like chanting. And I, again, I grew up with my mother in the house with the chant. I'm like, that's them. It's them. Like I'm hearing like little bells or something. So we, we hike through the woods and, you know, beautiful temple pops up right in front on the other side of the, the hill we come over. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. We found the secret. Look. I feel like Indiana Jones. <laughs> we found this thing, right? I take off my shoes. I don't know if we're allowed to go in or not, but I'm going in. And we go in the thing and the incense is burning. They're praying. And all of a sudden now we're praying. This is unbelievable, right? So um, we come out. We walk around the stairs. We're checking the whole thing out before we try to find the, the course, the, the, the 25, 26-mile course. And what do I stumble upon? A fucking parking lot. What? And a, and a ticket booth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It's like it's, it's, uh, tourists come every day. We didn't need. It's like, we could have taken a taxi. <laughs> so anyway, um, if you're listening out there, you got to go see uh, the marathon monks. But so we do the course. We we hike the thing, and it is awesome. We get a little lost, but we we figure it out because it's not just a straight. There's lots of offshoots on the trail, so you really got to know where you're going. And it's not something they allow you to do. We just we just went out and did it. The next week, my family comes because now I. I kind of know the course, and I tell my wife, I got my wife, I got my, my four kids, one of which is a, a three-year-old that I'm going to carry, 
I'm like, oh no, we'll just check this thing out. It's awesome. It's spiritual. We'll just go for a little hike. But in my mind, we're going, we're going 25 miles, uh, right? And <laughs> so, you're not um, telling them this yet? No, and I can't even, and, and the thing is, I can't carry much because I can't say it. She would say, well, why do we have a backpack? Yeah, why do you have such a backpack? Yeah, why do we have a backpack full of food and drinks? So I can't really bring much. So, um, so anyway, we go and I get lost. Oh, oh shit. I get lost and we are like 13 miles in. Oh God. And I see this, like, I thought it was a wolf. I got scared. We all got scared. It was just a dog. But it was strange because there's nothing out there for there to be a dog. And, um, and the dog is coming at us and it leaves. And my wife's convinced to this day it was a spirit. But anyway, <laughs> we, walk, we walk past where the dog was coming at us and we go about another 20 minutes and there's a dead end. I'm like, oh, we must have missed a turn back there. So I turn around. Now I say, because I'm, I'm about to lose, you know, they're, they're about to lose their shit, my family. So I got to get ahead of them maybe 10 minutes just to try to figure it out so that I'm, oh, it was no big deal. We just missed this <laughs> turn, right? So I run ahead a bit. And sure enough, 40 minutes later, the dog's coming at me again. Fucking dog's lost. <laughs> dog's oh, lost. No, no. We're all lost. We're all lost. I'm lost. <laughs> Anyway, we are out there and it turns into a complete shit show because the sun's going down. It's cold. There's no way we're going back up. That's going to take forever. We end up going down into a ravine, stuff I would have did in adventure racing. It would be no big deal for the four of us, but I got a three-year-old. I got my wife, right? We go down into a ravine. I don't know where we're going to come out. We end up popping out in the middle of the night into a cemetery. There's crows flying over. I mean, it's pretty fitting for for what went on, but... um, Awesome uh, experience from my perspective. Awesome experience. Got to show the kids all the little tomb, the tombstones of the guys that killed themselves are like wow. So they actually just killing themselves. Yeah, they're tiny little broken. Like like, they're not celebrating those guys. Mm -hmm. And then you see the big, the big, um, you know, whatever tombs, tombs. Yeah, for for the for the guys that that did it. Number you know number forty five that got that got it done. One guy. One Japanese guy was so upset with himself from World War II that he did uh, two sessions. He did 1,800 days oh my to, God. To, oh my clen- God. to cleanse his soul. So anyway, if you're listening out there, make your way to Japan. Go check out the Marathon Monks. Wow. Damn. Excellent story. That's, That's amazing. Badass. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.